If you have your Bibles, uh, welcome you to grab them. Uh, turn with me to, uh, to Luke chapter 16. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, our family uh, just got back from uh, some nice holidays. We were away at uh, Shoe Swap, uh, enjoyed some sun. Uh, the weather was perfect. The water was freezing cold, but it was too warm not to get in the water. Uh, and the only downfall of, of the whole week was uh, mosquitoes. Uh, they were brutal uh, this, this last week. Uh, from morning when we woke up to when we went to bed, uh, if you were sitting around the campfire, you, even if it was 25 degrees, you still had socks and pants and uh, a full sweater on, you know, pulled down so you could just see out and just bug spray everywhere. Uh, we were trying every combination of, of bug spray and thermocell and pick and coil and ah, it, nothing worked. I mean, it was just, it, it was just brutal. Uh, we had to, midway through the week, actually go into town to get Benadryl to wipe on the kids. Uh, Koa looked like he was Popeye. He just had these huge bumps where he was just continually getting attacked. Uh, it, was a, it was a terrible week for that. But when we were there, uh, I mean, we had to find some humor in getting destroyed by mosquitoes. And so we started reading the label on the back of some of these mosquito repellent uh, things. And so one of them, the pick, uh, the coil, had this warning of, you know, don't touch it. Uh, if you do touch it, wash your hands for 10 minutes with plenty of water. Uh, and if it gets on your clothes, just burn your clothes. They're useless now. <laughs> just throw them out. Um, and if you breathe them, sorry, you had a good run. Um, it, it's just these, these warnings on there, right, make you think that this is going to work. And, and they lied to us. <laughs> they lied so badly. If it, if it doesn't kill me, it's not keeping mosquitoes away. What I started thinking as I looked at this, this warning label is I realized that all of these products that we buy have warning labels, uh, warnings of don't use the product in this way. If you use the product in the wrong way, there's going to be some, some problems, whether it's a, a chainsaw or a wood chipper, uh, whether it's a blow dryer or some pepper spray, uh, there are right ways and wrong ways to use all of these products. The pepper spray one doesn't make sense. If it doesn't irritate your eyes when you spray it, it's not doing its job. That shouldn't be a warning. That should say, it's going to do this. Anyways, uh, the fact that you have to put a warning label on a chainsaw is troublesome as well. All I'm saying. All these products have a wrong way. If you use them, it's going to lead to some harm. It's going to lead to some destruction. It's going to lead you to losing a hand, some fingers, something. If you don't use them properly, you're in trouble. But on the other hand, if you use products in the right way, if you use these products the way they were intended, it's going to lead to a job being done more effectively, faster, simpler. It's going to lead to, to something going well for you. Unless it's bug repellent, then it's just a liar. Bunch of liars. The point being, today as we walk into our passage, we're going to be talking about the law. We're going to be looking at God's word as he, as he tells us that there's a right way and a wrong way to use the law of God, this, this law that tells us how his people should live, how we should act, how we should do life. If we want to be in relationship with, with God, he has laid down these rules of I'm holy and I am perfect and this is what I, I need from you and this is what I need from my people. And the expectation being that when we see it, we, we understand this, this high standard that God has laid out for us. There's a right way and there's a wrong way to use the law, though. The, the wrong way will lead us to fooling ourselves into thinking that we have done a good job of, of justifying ourselves, of making ourselves look good, look righteous in front of others. And the problem is that that just leads to a, a terrible, a terrible future. 
So look at your Bibles with me. Luke chapter 16, verses 14 to 17. Read it with me. The, uh, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all of these things, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Uh, would you pray with me as we start? Uh, Father, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes to help us see what it is you're saying to the Pharisees, but also what you're saying to us. God, I pray you would help us to see the ways that we use the law uh, not for flourishing, uh, not to, to show uh, us our, our sinfulness, our brokenness, and, and how far away from you we are without your grace and your mercy, and that it would illuminate our need for you. God, would you help us today as we, as we study this? Uh, would we have soft hearts uh, open to hear and repent, um, open to, uh, to seeing, God, where we have uh, wrongly used the law, wrongly applied it to, to our lives? And God, would we, would we repent? Would we turn back to you? And would we put our hope squarely in you and love you fully? So God, help us today. Would you open our, our hearts and open our eyes to see clearly? Uh, would your spirit work in them? We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. So the first thing that we see in our passage, the wrong use of the law. So uh, look at verses 14 and 15. This is what it says. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus, him. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Uh, we're going to be talking obviously a lot about the law. There's a, a wrong way to use the law, the right way to use the law. And if we use it rightly, it should point us to the fulfillment of the law. If we're going to talk that much about law, we should be clear as to what we're, what we're talking about. In verse 16, Jesus says, uh, the law and the prophets were until John, uh, and since then the kingdom of God is being preached. Um, what he means when he says the law and the prophets is he's speaking of the whole Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi and everything in between. He's saying that, that all of these books, all of this scripture is revealing the way that God's people should live. All of the times that God calls out his people, tells them that they aren't following him correctly. All the, the ways that he tells them what they should do, how they should act. The whole Old Testament is, is pointing to what God's people should be doing. And it's pointing to all the ways they fall short. Now, we don't have time, obviously, to go through all of the Old Testament and look at all the ways that, that we're supposed to fulfill the law. But luckily, in Matthew 23, uh, sorry, Matthew 22, 37 to 40, uh, Jesus tells us uh, how, how to take all of that and distill it simply down. When he's asked by one of the lawyers, uh, what is the greatest commandment? This is how Jesus answers. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So the greatest commandments takes the, the ten commandments and all of the laws and all of the prophets and, and distills it simply for us to say that we need to love God and we need to love others like ourselves. So back to our passage when we read that first line, we see that the Pharisees ridicule Jesus. Well, what are they ridiculing Jesus about? 
Well, Jesus has just told them a parable about the dishonest manager, this, this person who uses his wealth uh, to, to gain uh, friends so that when he loses his job, he has hope. He has people who will care for him and support him. And, and he finishes off the parable by saying, you can either love money or you can, you can love God. You can't have two masters. You have to choose one. These people were supposed to use their, their wealth to show who they actually served, who they actually loved, and that's what they're ridiculing. They're ridiculing the fact that Jesus calls them out on their love of money more than they love God. I don't know about you, but uh, I have been called out in my sin uh, from time to time, and sometimes when that happens, uh, it's an uncomfortable laugh that comes up, right? When you want to try to kind of protect yourself, you don't really want people to know that they hit a nerve. This is what's happening with the Pharisees. Jesus is telling them that their love of money shows their hearts and also their eternal hope. They ridicule Jesus because they think that they're seen as upright and honorable. Because they've been blessed with riches, God must be happy with them. But Jesus removes this mask. He sees their hearts. This facade that the Pharisees are trying to to put out there, they're trying to justify themselves, to look good and to be righteous in front of others. But Jesus tells them that God sees their hearts, knows what they truly love. How are the Pharisees trying to look good on the outside? How are they missing the purpose of the law? Well, let me read just a little bit from Matthew 23, some excerpts here. This is what it says. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they don't practice. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad, their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, the greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides... Straining out the gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and then the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also appear outwardly righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And this is why Jesus says in verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And we, we love to do this. We love to look good on the outside. We like to, to have people tell us how good we are, to, to think that we are upright and we do everything Properly, Maybe you've heard of um, some of the great philanthropists of, uh, of the past few hundred years, right? People like Carnegie and Getty and, and Rockefeller. These are uh, men that have made huge uh, billions of dollars worth of, of donations to different institutions, hospitals, schools, um, museums, art galleries. They, they bear their names. These people have done these things and they're, they're seen as, as these really uh, gracious people who have who've dealt large sums of money. It, it's a great way of having people lift you up and, and celebrate you. But when you actually see some of the stories of, of these men, you start to wonder if it's really just projecting an image or if their hearts really were these generous, loving people. John Paul Getty is a guy that there's a movie out recently about him. Uh, his, his grandson was, uh, was kidnapped 
And there's a story that said that uh, this, this guy had actually given uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to a, a group of sailors to go out into the sea. There was a storm coming, uh, and there were seals trapped. Oh, baby seals trapped. And so they went out, they, they rescued all the seals, and everybody praised them for his, his generosity. But when his own grandson gets kidnapped, he's unwilling to pay anything. Not until they, they send him a piece of, uh, of his ear to show that they mean business does he finally pony up some of the money. $17 million was the ransom. Uh, he gave $2.2 million. And the reason for that specific amount was because it was the most that he could give and still use as a tax write-off. He then further offered his son a million-dollar loan at 4% interest to help you know, get some more money for the ransom. Does this sound like a, a man who really cares about the baby seals? if he doesn't care about his own, his own grandson. Or uh, Andrew Carnegie owned uh, mills uh, in, in Pittsburgh, tons and tons of mills. But it was said that at one time, uh, one in five adult males uh, died as a result of working in his mills. He was a man who gave uh, tons of money away to different institutions and organizations, gave it away like crazy, but he, he wouldn't care for his own workers. In fact, 10 days before Christmas one year, he decided to shut his mill to try and beat his competitor on price cutting. Uh, and he only let his workers come back after they agreed to take a 33% wage cut. I mean, this doesn't sound like the kind of person who's a philanthropist. This, it, it sounds like a miser. In the same way that philanthropy and, and giving these large sums of money can project an image when we fulfill the, the outward expectations of the law, we too can project an image that we are righteous, that we are good, that we love God. But it doesn't mean that our hearts really do. See, this is the first wrong use of the law. The Pharisees always made sure to show, uh, make a show of faithfully keeping the rules, but inside they were, they were rotten. And this can be a problem for us as well. We want people to perceive us as, as good and moral. We do things for people to see, but we still love our, our hidden sins. Many of us, uh, men and women in this church, are guilty of doing this around pornography. We can make a show of being here at church and doing all these things, and yet in, in our quiet times when nobody's watching, we can be full of that sin. I, I was guilty of this like crazy when I was a, a teen and a, and a young adult, I was leading worship, I was helping out in youth ministry and kids ministry, I was serving at camp. Um, people would have said that I was a, a very upright young man, and, and lots of people made sure to let me know it. I, I was good, I was righteous, people looked up to me, I, I was an example for people. But I knew my heart, I knew what I did when nobody else was watching, what I could get away with. I knew the hidden sins, and it, and it wasn't just pornography. I knew what I could do and still maintain my image, maintain the thing that people saw externally. I, I didn't have to give up what I truly loved, and I didn't have to give up my image, the, the way that people perceived me. There's people here like that today as well. We can hide our, our private light, our, our life, our, our hidden sin. How do we know and use the law and its outward requirements to present ourselves as, as righteous? We know what God hates, but we still lie, we still sneak around, we still hide. We do all these things that no one sees that we know they're probably not going to catch us in. Our hearts can be far from God, but we can look the part. We can show up to church, community groups, we can serve, but God still knows our hearts. One of the questions I have is, is when was the last time we were more worried about what God thinks of us than the people around us? 
See, we, we shouldn't be searching the Bible and, and God's revealed law for his people to, to know how to make ourselves look good. We should search the Bible and see the demands of a holy God and see how woefully short we fall of the standard that he has given us. There's another way to use the law wrongly, and it's to, to rationalize it or to, to minimize it. It's like a, a group of students trying to get a good grade. They, they need a good grade to keep their scholarships, to get into that school that they're trying to get into, but the class that they're in is just so hard. I mean, nobody's doing well, nobody's passing, the exams are coming, and you're just hoping, you're, you're begging that the professor will mark on, on a curve, so at least, at least some people at the top can look good. At least we can make it, make it by. And this is what we do with the law. And the Pharisees were guilty of this and in terms of they, they loved money more than God. And so instead of giving and, and supporting their families, they, they called, it, uh, called it Corbin. They were going to give it to God. So this was, this was ours to tithe. We didn't have to take care of our families. That's too hard. That, that, that cuts into our love of money. What does it look like for us? Well, it can, it can look like us taking something that the Bible teaches very clearly and lessening the impact, making it easier or softer for us to be able to, to justify ourselves, to, to look right, to feel right. We can diminish the law so that we can be justified for others. Now, as a church, we, we have a choice. Every church has a choice of, of how we present the gospel, how we present the hope that we have. We, we can make a show of, of, of sin and, and tell people how big it is, how big of a problem it is, how awful it is, and how it needs to be dealt with, or we can minimize it. We don't have to make people feel bad. We can make people feel good. We don't have to talk about those things, the things that our culture uh, agrees with. You know, we, we'll, 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 we'll do those things, but you know, the stuff that our culture is fighting against and that, that, that they hate that we talk about and the Bible talks about, I mean, let's just not talk about those things. We can either point people to their sin and their need for repentance, or, or we can kind of minimize it. We can kind of skirt some of those issues. We can do this when we don't take God seriously around things like gossip or, or gluttony, around groaning. We, we talk about people behind their backs. We're, we're busy speaking about things, saying it's for their good or saying that we're just trying to keep people in the loop, but we know what we're really doing. The question is, do we really submit ourselves fully to the word of God? When, when God says that he hates something, when God says that something is, is wrong and sinful and evil, do we take him seriously or not? Or do we realize how difficult it is to obey? How difficult it is to be perfect? How difficult it is to live up to this law, this standard that God has set, and diminish it to try to make it humanly possible to fulfill? See, the problem with the, the wrong uses of the law, either using it as a mask to, to project an outward image or diminishing it, is, is that God makes it harder to fool ourselves and others. When Jesus comes on the scene in the, the Sermon on the Mount, he, he changes uh, the effects. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't make it easier. He, he takes the outward things and he actually makes it harder because instead of it just being about fulfilling the outward stuff that people see, he says it's actually about your heart. It, it's about your loves, the stuff that you most desire, the things that you think on and you, you, you wish that you could have. See, many people today, if we just look at the Ten Commandments, the, the, the moral law, we could probably say we're doing pretty good. I don't serve other gods. I don't have pictures on my wall. I don't have any idols. I've, I've never taken God's name in vain. I'm, I'm good that way. I even rest on the Sabbath. I make sure to obey and honor my parents. I, I've never killed anybody. I'm killing it at that one. I'm doing great there. 
I, I'm not a liar. I don't, I, I, I've never cheated on my spouse. I've never, you know, I've never done adultery. That's good. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all these things right. But when Jesus comes and reinterprets them, he makes them infinitely harder because we know what we truly desire. We, we know what we truly love. We know what brings us fulfillment and satisfaction. We may try and excel at being self-justified, fulfilling the outward requirements of the law. We may try to minimize it, but you know, it's just going to lead us to hearts that are far from God. And the problem is, with using the law wrongly, is, is it might actually work. It, it might actually work to the place that we fool ourselves and we fool others. And we live our whole lives thinking that we're good because people see us good. People encourage us about how how we live and how we act, how we talk, how we treat people, how we, we spend our time and our money. The problem is, it doesn't fix the standing that we need to have with God. See, the right use of the law helps us see what is, is lacking, to see how we're missing the mark that God has set for us. 1 Timothy 1.8 says this, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully or, or rightly. And so what is the right use of the law? We'll look at verse 15 again. This is what it says. He said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, the true purpose of the law, the, the right use of the law isn't to use it as, as a mask or, or to diminish it when we can't fulfill it. The, the right use of the law is to use it like a, a light, to shine and, and to show where we're missing the mark, where we're not... We're not hitting the, 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 the standard that God has set for us. It's like, I can only imagine what a, a real crime scene is like because I've watched so many movies and TV shows. But I imagine that they come on the scene and they're, they're looking for clues, they're looking for evidence, and, and they, they, they scan the whole thing and they, they can't really find what they're looking for. And so... You know, they close the curtains, they turn off the lights, and they turn on the black light. And that's when they see it, right? They see the hair that they're looking for, the blood stain, and they find the evidence. Well, that's what the law of God is supposed to do. It's, it's supposed to reveal the things that we think are hidden, the, the things that we think that we've been able to hide. It's supposed to point us to the righteous demands of God that we are unable to fulfill. It's supposed to point us to cry out to God for forgiveness and grace and to create in us a new heart. The most important thing for us isn't to look good. It's to be made good by God. And the only, thing for, the only way for that to happen is if we actually see our sin clearly. This is what Romans 7.7 7 says about the law. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. <laughs> we were coming out of a store uh, this past week with Koa. Uh, he just turned four, so forgive him for not knowing. Uh, but as we walked out, he looked at a bunch of stuff on the shelf and said, we should take more stuff. Like, Why, Koa? Because it's free. And it's like, no, no, it's not free. You can't just take and, and walk out, buddy. That's, that's called stealing. You can't do it. He, the, the law tells us what's, what's right and what's wrong. And, and even ignorance to the law doesn't keep us from being guilty before God. There is a perfect righteous standard that he has laid out. And his law is supposed to reveal what sin is and how sinful we are. The law removes our ignorance of our sinfulness 
And the law is, is really truly a, a gift. It's a gift that actually crushes us under the weight of perfection. When, when the law shines into our hearts and shows the sinfulness and the ways that we fall short, we're supposed to try and, and, and lift up that burden. We're supposed to try and fulfill the law and be crushed by it. Realizing that we can't, we can't do it to ourselves. Have you tried to fulfill the law yourself? Have you tried to be perfect? Have you tried to do everything that God has commanded? And have you been crushed by the law? Have you come to a place where you realize that I can't, I can't do it? God looks at the heart. God looks and approves of something altogether different than what man looks at. The things that the Pharisees were doing and approving of were abominations. See, God didn't just want their mint and their dill and their cumin. He didn't just want those little things. He wanted their, their whole hearts. He wanted them to have justice and mercy and, and faithfulness. He didn't just want them to have these phylacteries, this, this scripture hanging around. He wanted it written on their hearts to change what they loved and what they cared for, what they wanted. He wanted to lead them to humility before a righteous God. He didn't just want a beautiful-looking people. He wanted to make us beautiful, clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus. But the only way we can put on that clothing, the only way we can, we can get that is to come to God with our sin, knowing that we don't measure up. See, using the law in the right way, it should crush us. It should bring us into our, onto our knees. It should humble us before a holy God as we look at the law and the prophets. And when we use it the right way, it should point us to the fulfillment of the law, the one who fulfills the law for us. It should point us to our Messiah, the, the Savior. It should point us to Jesus. That's our third point, is the fulfillment of the law. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. What Jesus is saying is he's pointing to the good news. The law and the prophets were, were pointing to me. It was pointing to the fact that you could never fulfill it. You could never do it. You needed somebody to do it for you. It was pointing to Jesus. We don't have to keep the law perfectly. We don't have to justify ourselves before God because Jesus will do it for us. This is the message that Jesus started preaching when he came onto the scene. This is the hope that we have that we, we don't have to do it because we know we can't, but we can trust that Jesus has done it for us. We don't have to diminish. We don't have to abolish. We don't have to change. We don't have to project an image because God has done it for us. The law doesn't perfect us, it doesn't save us, it condemns us, and it shows us that we're missing the perfect holiness required to be with God. So God came to be with us, and he freely gives grace to those who are broken and needy and admit their need for him. That's what Matthew 11, 28 and 29 says. Come to me, all you who, are, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We just need to come to God knowing that we, we need his forgiveness. We need his righteousness. We need to know that we can't do it on our own. I don't know if you've ever watched some of those renovation shows where it, there's like a before and after, where a, a do-it-yourself person kind of comes in and tries to, tries to build a house or repair their house and, and do some major work, right? They've done electrical and they've done plumbing. They, they moved some walls and they've, they've done some big work. And, you know, from, from far away... It doesn't look too bad. It, you know, it's finished well. It's painted. You can't see too many issues. But a professional comes in, 
and you know, rips, rips off some drywall and, and, and shows what's really going on behind the scenes, right? Like, like that plumbing is not going to work long term. That electrical is, is going to explode and burn down your house. That beam that you thought you replaced properly is, is definitely going to follow off those, those two by fours and your house is going to cave in. And they come in and over a weekend, I mean, it's always a weekend because they're amazingly fast, uh, but they come in and they, they rip it all out and they make it brand new, Right? They, they go right down to the studs. They fix everything, the plumbing, the electrical. They fix uh, the HVAC systems. They, they do everything possible, and it still looks really good. But you know that underneath, everything looks great too. This is what Jesus does for us. He doesn't just coat us with a nice, nice paint coat. It doesn't just make us look good. He, he actually changes us. He, he transforms our hearts. He forgives us our sin. He takes away the, the, the fear that we have of, of death. If you're here today and you've been trying to, to look good, trying to present yourself before people as a, as a good Christian so that you can be justified, stop. I mean, we have somebody who has come and has, has been able to change us and forgive us and save us who invites us to believe in him so that we can be saved and made righteous. The, the gospel call for us, if we've been trying to justify ourselves, is, is simply this. If we confess our sins, this is what 1 John 1.9 says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Please respond if you haven't yet. Stop trying to justify yourself and look good. You don't. Because God sees your heart. But what do we do with this, this, one, this one sentence? Everyone forces his way into it. Okay, we, we've gotten to this point in the sermon where we understand we can't do the law. We, we need Jesus to fill the law for us, to forgive us, to give us his, his righteousness. But, but why would it say everyone forces his way into it? It, it, sounds, it sounds like we have to force our way into the kingdom. Like we have to do something to get in. Like, like we're getting in by our own effort or we're getting in without God's will. We're doing the work. Is there some random door we have to get through or an angel bouncer we have to sneak around or some security system that we need to bypass? No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that the people who understand what God has done for us in saving us, that, that his life, death, and resurrection secures our salvation, that the people who understand that will do everything in their power to come to Jesus and be with him, which means leaving everything else behind. It would be like if you got concert tickets to a band that you really, really wanted to see. So you show up to the concert venue, the, the gates are still closed, you know, you've got your, uh, your, your lawn chair, you've got your cooler with your snacks and your lunch, you've got a backpack with a change of clothes in case it gets cold, you know, you've got a TV in case you get bored, you, you've got all this stuff, you're, you're ready for this, but as you, as you look, you, you realize that it's, it's not like assigned seating, it's general admission, and, and you want a really good seat, and as you see the gates open, you, you see crowds of people starting to, to press their way in. And you know that if you hold on to all this stuff, you can't get there. You can't make it through the doorway. It's stopping you. The crowds are keeping you back. You have to let it all go. You have to leave the sin behind, the other loves, the things that you have served that bring you comfort and joy other than Jesus. You need to leave it all. You have to strive 
to get into the kingdom, you have to leave all that stuff that your flesh desires and loves more than God behind. Because there's only one, one person who is worth our striving, one person and thing that will satisfy us, and it's Jesus. What are you striving for to bring you peace? What are you longing for and pressing into? Jesus continues in verse 17 and says, but it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. The law doesn't stop being useful once Jesus fulfills it, once we have been saved. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When Jesus fulfills the law, he welcomes us into relationship with him He forgives us, but he tells us to to go and sin no more. He gives us new hearts. The Holy Spirit will actually work in us to help us reject sin and put to death the desires of the flesh. See, the law becomes a thing that helps our new hearts know how to walk in good works, know how to honor and please God, teaches us how we can be more and more like God. And it reveals further the, the loves and the idols that we're holding on to. This is what it means to force our way into the kingdom. We can't serve God and anything. There can only be one master. Could it be that, that you and I are, are misusing the law of God in our lives? Are, are we using it to know the outward expectations that people think that we're, we're good? Could it be that we're, we're minimizing things that are hard, that we don't like, that we don't want to submit to, so that we appease our, our, our guilt? Or have we used the law of God rightly to crush us, to humble us, to bring us to the point where we, we know that we need Jesus, we need forgiveness, we need him to fulfill the law for us? that we're justified only by his blood shed on the cross. Can you see the, the, the peace that comes from using the law properly to expose our sin and point us to Jesus, to give us a path to follow? Everything in life can be used rightly and can be used wrong. Choose today how you will use the law. This is what Romans thirteen twelve says. The night is gone. The need to self-justify us is, is gone The day is at hand. We've been justified by Jesus alone. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's prepare to strive into the kingdom to be with Jesus. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, would you reveal the ways in which we have been using the law wrongly? Would you help us to see where we need to confess sin where we need to turn away and turn back to you, where we need to repent. God, where we we need to to stop trying to justify ourselves and look good, but accept the work that you have done for us on the cross. God, would you help us to, to, to see the way that you have called us to live and in freedom know that we don't have to earn our salvation, but God, we get to walk, we get to strive to be with you, killing sin, leaving behind the works of the flesh, the loves and the desires that, that keep us from being with you. God, the things that, that draw our hearts and our eyes away from the eternal kingdom and into this world. God, would you help us? Would you be with us? Would your spirit enable us to live that kind of life? 
God, we pray this all uh, for your glory, for our good. Amen.